Well, thus far in this short sermon series called The Prophecies of Christmas, we've considered a miraculous child and we've considered a miraculous line. And again, I know we have many guests here today. We're so glad you're here. If you're curious to catch up on those two sermons that you've missed, uh, you can go to our website and find all of that there. In fact, there is a lot to be said about the prophecies of Christmas concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord, and you can find that on our website, A Miraculous Child and a Miraculous Line. Today, we will talk about a, we will talk about a miraculous God. You see, Jesus is not just a miraculous child. He's not just from a miraculous line, which those things are incredible in and of themselves, but he is also a miraculous God. We've read this prophecy a few times already during our series. It's one of the most famous prophecies to be read at Christmas time, and it is a prophecy that, if it's true, is absolutely incredible and miraculous. And that is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We have most of the scriptures on the screen. I think we have all of them today because we're jumping around a lot. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. There's that word, that name that we often reference at Christmas time, Emmanuel. And we learn from the scriptures and from studying the Hebrew language, the word Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Now think about this for a moment, folks. If God is, in fact, with us, that is truly miraculous. If God walked among us, that is truly miraculous. If God can relate to our human condition, that is truly miraculous. And if Jesus is the one whom Isaiah prophesied, that is truly miraculous. And that's why today we'll learn about a miraculous God. Now before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to speak to us as we study his word. Join me now in prayer. God, we are so grateful for your word. We are grateful that during Christmas time we can celebrate in so many ways with gifts, family, lots of food, time together, gathering together. Lord, all those things are good. Those are good things. But we are grateful that the primary reason that we can celebrate Christmas is the coming of Jesus Christ into this world. We celebrate that Jesus came as God with us. And so thank you that we are gathered under the banner of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that as we study your word this morning, you will speak to us. I pray, God, that you will bless all those in this room, bless their families, their households, bless them in every way imaginable. God, and I pray that most of all, if someone here does not know Jesus, today they will hear the gospel clearly and understand that Jesus came so that they might have life and have it abundantly. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we consider this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, we're going to see how Matthew and the gospel of Matthew, the, the writer of the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, he helps connect the dots to help us see that Jesus fulfills this prophecy. In case we were wondering, is Jesus the one 
Matthew helps us see, in fact, he is the one. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, Matthew says this, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. So we see here that Matthew makes the connection for us. He connects the dots so that we can see what is happening. And he says at the end of this passage that Isaiah prophesied many years ago that this prophecy was fulfilled at least in part as a reference to the birth of Jesus Christ. The son who was to be born, that is Jesus, is to be God with us. This prophecy and this fulfillment are absolutely amazing. So we need to see from the prophecy, from the birth, from the life, and the death of Jesus, how God is with us. So if you're taking notes, we have three points this morning, and we'll get you out before lunchtime. Are you ready? First point, we experience God with us in presence. Now, not presence with a T. This is presence. We experience God with us in his presence. You see, in the life and ministry of Jesus, we see God is with us in his presence. What's, what's really miraculous, I was talking to my wife about this either last week or the week before, I can't remember, but we were talking about uh, the presence of Jesus was even seen, was even present as Jesus was being carried in the womb of Mary. I mean, this is, I think sometimes we just skip over this, and we don't even, I mean, we read it, but we don't even think about how incredible this is. We see this in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 44. It's on the screen. Luke chapter 1. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Now I want to help connect the dots for you, since we didn't read all of the beginning of chapter of Luke. But what's happening here is that Mary, that would be Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's carrying Jesus inside her, and she's going to visit her relative, Elizabeth, who is also carrying a baby inside her. We come to find out later, that baby is John the Baptizer, also known as John the Baptist. John the Baptizer was, being, was in his mother Elizabeth's womb, and Jesus is in the womb of Mary. And as Mary comes into Elizabeth's presence, Elizabeth's baby, that would be John, leaps for joy inside her. Elizabeth says to Mary, How could this happen to me, 
that the mother of my Lord should come to me. You see, this baby, John the baptizer, as a baby in the womb of his mother, recognized that this other baby who was still in the womb of his mother was not just any other baby. This baby, Jesus, was God with us. Now, many of us have had a chance to experience the joy of sensing a baby in the womb. Some of us, not myself, but some have carried babies in our wombs, but others, at least, you're able to see and feel and say, oh, that's miraculous. You, you see flutters. You see sometimes like a leg sticking out, you know. And you're like, wow, that's incredible, right? But I don't think any of us have had the experience of a baby leaping in our wombs because of a different baby in a different womb. Now, some of you said, my baby's leaped in my womb, but I didn't know why. You know, maybe it's because I ate a taco or something, right? But you see that... This baby is miraculously leaping because of another baby. Folks, we need not skip over this part of the story of the Scriptures. This is miraculous. This is the presence of God seen from the very beginning of Jesus as a small child in the womb of his mother. And as we find out, Jesus was not only no ordinary baby, he was also no ordinary man. Jesus was... Emmanuel, God with us. If we think about the scripture, some of us know the, Bible's, the Bible well, some of us we may not, but there's several stories in the Bible that tell us that Jesus was no ordinary man. For instance, there's the time when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and a storm broke out, and Jesus calmed the storm. And some of you may remember the response of his disciples. Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, it tells us, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Again, you may remember a time when, when Jesus cast out a demon out of a man, and we see the response of the people in Luke chapter 9, verse 43. It says, And they were all astonished at the greatness of God. And we see, even at the horrible and terrible and and sad moment of the crucifixion of Jesus. We see God's sorrow as, and, and his displeasure displayed as the sky turned dark. And in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. It's not something that happens naturally, folks. It's a miraculous thing. You see, the presence of God was seen in the life of Jesus and even in the death of Jesus. And all of these occurrences give evidence to the reality that the coming of Jesus Christ, God was indeed with us in his presence. So in the conception, birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we see Emmanuel, God with us. But also next we see God with us in power. God with us in power. When Jesus came in the flesh, God not, was not only with us in his presence, he was also with us in his power. You may remember the powerful display of God when the angels appeared to the shepherds after the birth of Jesus. This is one of the most talked about stories in the Bible during Christmas time. 
the shepherds, right? People even dress up as shepherds in plays, and we have them in our house on display during Christmas time. This was a powerful moment. We see in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. This is a wonderful, miraculous, awesome, powerful display of God's power. You see, this was not just a miraculous child from a miraculous line. This was a powerful display that a miraculous God had come to dwell with his people. I mean, think about how incredible it would be just to see one angel. Wouldn't that be awesome? What about two angels? No, it wasn't just one or two. There was a host, a heavenly host, along with the angel declaring to the shepherds that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, was born. This was a powerful display that God is with us. And we not, we not only see the power of God displayed at Jesus' birth, we also see it displayed throughout his life and his ministry. And most of us are well aware Jesus worked lots of miracles. Uh, some of us may not recall, but this happens in the Scripture. We see Jesus, his physical body, shined with brilliance, literally shined with brilliance at certain times. We know that Jesus commanded creation itself, and it obeyed him. Jesus taught with authority. As Jesus taught, one of the things the Scripture tells us is that the people noticed Jesus taught with authority, unlike their teachers, right? That doesn't say a lot for their teachers, right? But it says Jesus taught with authority, and also it says Jesus knew at times the thoughts and intentions of others. We see Emmanuel, God with us, through the power of Jesus. Of course, the very gospel was made possible by the work of Jesus. And the gospel itself is a beautiful display of the power of God. Now, some of you here, you might say, I I've heard that word gospel before. I'm not sure what it means. I know it's a type of music. What, what are we talking about here? Gospel literally means good news. And so the good news that Jesus Christ came as a baby, grew into a man, gave his life on the cross to pay for sins, rose from dead to conquer evil, death, and sin, and ascended into heaven to be with the Father, and that he could save you from your sins, that is the gospel. That is the good news that Jesus Christ saves sinners. And the gospel itself is powerful. In fact, we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God 
for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. That would be to the non-Jewish person. Basically, he's saying everybody, Jewish and non-Jewish. The power of the gospel is made possible through the power of God, which is made possible through the coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. We also see that this power of God that came through Jesus with us in Jesus and was made possible for us. You might say, that was really wordy. Yeah, let me, let me break that down for you, okay? Jesus himself, directly before he went into heaven, said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Catch your breath for a minute. I'm reading a lot of scriptures. Listen, we need to catch this. This power came not only to us, it came for us. This power, the presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us, came not only to us, it came for us. What an amazing reality. When God came to us, when he came with us, he brought power to us and he brought power for us. We see the presence of God and the power of God. We see God with us in power. Finally, we experience God with us in person. We experience God with us in person. Listen again to the story of the birth of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east in Jerusalem saying, came from the east in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Now, most people, even people that don't go to church, remember this part of the Christmas story, right? The wise men coming to worship Jesus. What did the wise men come to do? They came to worship Jesus. Catch that, church. They came to worship Jesus. Those of you who know the Bible, you know this. There is no one worthy of worship except God alone. There is no one worthy of worship except God alone. So we need to understand this about God's own view of worship. Okay, this is what God himself has told us. He declares, he himself, not just his people, not just the Bible, he himself declares that he alone is worthy of worship and no one else should be worshipped. Don't take my word for it. I've got it for you on the screen. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, it says, Do not have other gods besides me. Exodus chapter 34, verse 14 says, Because the Lord is jealous for his reputation, you are never to bow down to another God. He is a jealous God. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. What about Jesus? Well, Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 4, verse 8, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Yet, these wise men are worshiping Jesus. Wouldn't you know it, they're not the only ones who worshiped Jesus. In John chapter 20, verse 28, you may remember 
the Apostle Thomas, famously known as Doubting Thomas. He says of Jesus, my Lord and my God. He's speaking to Jesus when he says that. In John chapter 12, verse 13, we see people worshiping Jesus. It says, as he came into Jerusalem, it says they took palm branches and went out to meet him. And they kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Hosanna is, a, is an expression of worship. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, we read of his disciples worshiping. Remember the time on the boat? Again, it says, Then those in the boat worshiped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. We read of another moment. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 9, when some women, you may remember, for those of you who remember about the women, the women, all right, this is a shout out to all the women out there. The women were faithful to Jesus, even to his death. And they stayed faithful to him even after his death. The men all scattered and they were scared. The women were strong. And some of the first women that went back to the tomb, they went to meet him and couldn't find him. And this, this is what happened, Matthew 28, verse 9. Just then Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. We read of this prophecy, at the end of all things, this is another prophecy yet to be fulfilled, when Jesus, the Lamb of God, will sit on a throne and receive worship. Revelation chapter 5 verse 12 says, they said with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Jesus has been worshipped, and he will once again be worshipped. How do we make sense of all this? If God alone is the one who should be worshipped, well, we must know that Jesus is God with us in person. God the Son was born on the earth. He lived on the earth. He ministered on the earth. He was crucified on the earth. He rose from the dead on the earth and descended, ascended back into heaven. He went back up into heaven from the earth from where he will one day return again in the flesh to once again powerfully manifest himself as Emmanuel, God with us. And it all started when a child was born, who would be called Emmanuel. So as we think of the prophecy of the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born on the earth, and you hear that there will be a child, and he shall be called Emmanuel. Think of all that means, that God is with us. Let this bottom line summarize all that we've learned in today's message is this, that Christmas fulfills the prophecy of the miraculous God. Christmas fulfills the prophecy of the miraculous God. It's a miracle that God would walk among us in the flesh. It's a miracle that Isaiah would prophesy that a child would come who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And it's a miracle that Jesus would fulfill that prophecy and change the world forever.
So this Christmas, remember the prophecy of the miraculous God. One weekly challenge this week, as has been the case all throughout this series, I'm taking it easy on y'all the last few weeks. Weekly challenge number one, reflect upon our miraculous God. Reflect upon our miraculous God. Do all the things I've already talked about for Christmas. Exchange gifts. Eat lots of food. If you don't eat some ham, you're not doing it right. Okay, eat some ham. Eat some candy, homemade desserts, exchange gifts, spend time with family, take some time off work. Hopefully you get a chance to do that. Do all those things. Those are good. But more than anything, reflect upon our miraculous God. Now I know many of you are just like I am. You feel a sense of accomplishment when you finish that last blank. Like it is finished. (laughs) But see if you can just pay attention to me for just another minute. You see, the reality is this is a great opportunity for us all to reflect upon our miraculous God this week, to remember what God accomplished when Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. So as you go through that that weekly challenge, that one challenge to reflect upon the miraculous God, for those of you who are already in Christ, and if you know what that means, then, then you are probably in Christ. If you don't know what that means, you may not be. But what it means is that you've given your life to Jesus. He has saved you from your sin. You have experienced his presence in your life. For those of you who are in Christ, think about how the coming of the miraculous God has changed your life. Thank him for that. Praise him for that. Think about how that challenges you to live in more faithful obedience more faithful sacrifice, more faithful devotion to the one true living God. And for those in this room who may not have a relationship with Jesus, ask yourself this question as you work through this weekly challenge. How can the miraculous God change my life? You might want to write that down. How can the miraculous God change my life? I would challenge you to think through that. Listen, even if you don't believe in God. Think through the question. What if he really did fulfill all these prophecies? By the way, he did. What if he really is the one true living God? What if he really came to earth so that I could know him and have a relationship with him? How can the miraculous God change my life? The Bible teaches that the reason God commands that we worship him alone is because he is, in fact, the only God. He is the one true living God, and God wants what is best for our lives. He wants us. He has designed us to be in a relationship with him. That is his will that all would worship him and follow him. That is his desire. And yet... Despite the fact that God gave us instructions and told us how to live our lives the way we should live them, many of us, all of us, have rejected God and his ways at some point in our lives. Most of us, many, many, many times. The Bible calls that sin. When we reject God, when we reject God's ways, that's called sin. And the Bible is very clear. God does not tolerate sin. God is not okay with sin. 
He does not excuse it. He does not overlook it. He does not tolerate it. The Bible says the wages, the payment, the consequences for our sin is death. Death came into our world. God did not design us initially to have death. But death came into our world when we sinned and we brought it into the world. As Adam and Eve, the first human sinned, so also all of us have sinned. Some people might say, well, I can't believe Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. And I often say, well, they didn't, you would have. (laughs) And I would have. Because all of us have sinned. And we've turned our backs on God and his ways. And the Bible says the payment for that is death. And it's not just a physical death, which is terrible. More so, it's a spiritual death. It's a separation from God. The Bible's very clear about that. In fact, it's not only a separation where we don't experience his presence on this earth, which is in itself just sorrowful. But it's much more than that. The Bible speaks of a very real, literal place called hell. where there is punishment beyond the worst thing we can imagine. And that's what awaits those who are in sin. You might say, well, this is not a very uplifting Christmas message. Well, that's not the end of the message. The very reason for Christmas answers the rest of the message. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. That's a Christmas verse, by the way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son as a baby. We grow into a man and we give his life on the cross to pay the death penalty for sin. Because Jesus never sinned, never once did anything worthy of death or condemnation, but we did. And he paid our penalty on the cross by dying for our sins. And the rest of that verse says that whoever believes in him, that would be Jesus, should not die, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him. You see, the death of Jesus was powerful. Powerful enough to save everyone that's ever lived. And yet, it's not automatically applied to everyone. We must believe in him. We must call upon his name. We must receive his forgiveness. And we must follow him as Lord. The Bible says elsewhere, for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So ask yourself this question. If you're not a follower of Jesus, ask yourself this question. How can the miraculous God change my life? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he died to make sinners new, to forgive us of our sins. Believe that he rose from the dead. And as he rose to new life, you also and I also can live a new way of life. There is hope found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is really a miraculous God. He really did fulfill all the prophecies about Emmanuel, God with us. For those of you who are here every week, you know how we normally end our service. We're going to do things a little differently this Sunday. It's Christmas Eve. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And then Pastor Richard's going to come give us a word, a short word. And then we're going to sing Silent Night. Pastor Dirk's going to lead us through that. But here's what I don't want to miss. Typically, we sing a song of response, which we are singing Silent Night as we reflect upon the birth of Jesus But we always invite folks as we sing to come find one of our pastors and tell us how we can pray for you or answer any spiritual question you might have. We want you to know our pastors 
We're going to be hanging around for a while in this room after the service is over. We would love to answer any questions you might have about how you can know Jesus as your Lord. We'd love to answer any questions you might have about what it means to experience the miraculous God. We'd love to pray for you. If you're struggling, Christmas sometimes is hard for people. It reminds people of what they've lost. We'd love to pray for you and try to encourage you. Whatever, however we can bless, we'd love to do that. We don't want you to leave this place with prayers unprayed and questions unanswered. But what I want to do now is pray that God's word would impact all of us and that we would walk away with a true appreciation for Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the miraculous God. Join me now in prayer.